Oh, I had a lot of fun on today's episode. We have dietitian Stephanie Wilson, who uh, she's going to share with us a four-part plan. And it's a, it's a mental plan, her, her mental strategy for how to keep you on track with your, with your nutrition goals, whether it's to eat, lose weight or gain weight or build muscle. But so much is talked about the physical component, the exercises to do. But today we're just going to hone in on the mental side. And this is powerful because it relates her, her plan so much overlaps with a suicide plan that you would make with someone to ensure that they they stay alive when when they're experiencing mental pain and overwhelm and you sit down and you create a plan for what to do next time they feel that way there's so much overlap and we're going to draw parallels between this four-part plan and also uh what you would do in in a suicide pact and i actually will I don't know if I've done it yet, but I, as I'm talking about this, I'm going to do an episode, uh, and I, I know I have. I just can't remember what episode it is. So I just need to do another one. Uh, but we'll talk about specifically about uh, a suicide plan, what to do when you feel like uh, you, you want to end your life. And, uh, and if you haven't been already, go check out thrivewithleo.com. You know, if, if you're feeling like a burden, if you're feeling overwhelmed, not connected, not effective, and you, you want to feel alive and, and you want to feel capable and adequate and, and like you're not alone in this world, uh, go to thrivewithleo.com because you know I've been there. And, and and not that I've been there like it's a past thing, but those those emotions still flare up for me. But they instead of it being... Uh, weeks and months now it's, it's just these brief moments that uh, I, I navigate and so I want to teach you those same coping skills and self-soothing techniques and also personalize it to you and what you're going through in your story and you know it's all about turning your traumas and tragedies into upward trajectories so go to thrivewithleo.com and let's get to tomorrow together. With that said, let's hop into the episode. Uh, I'm excited to have you on uh, because Stephanie Wilson is a nutritionist. Uh, top now is that is do you have another phrase for nutritionist? I feel like w- labeling can be so tricky nowadays. Like we're not called nutritionist anymore. We're called food doctors. Like, you know, I, it's like, I don't know what to call people anymore. It's too much. That's okay. We, I am a nutritionist. I'm also a dietitian. And, um, yeah, you, I haven't gotten the food doctor, so that would be a new one for me. Um, but, yes, I'm a dietitian nutritionist. Uh, now, can you, is there, what's the difference between a dietitian, nutritionist? There's so many labels that, it, it, what, what's, what's the difference? Separate them for me. Great. So um, a dietitian, anyone in certain states can call themselves a nutritionist. In other states, that term is uh, limited to only people who have gone through certain trainings. Um, so the dietitian is uh, requires a certain level of practice, um, different internship hours and competencies, and there's a national exam that we set forth to be certified. And we can also do medical nutrition therapy. Um, so it, also, it provides a higher level of medical, 
um, interventions that we can provide. So anyone who is a dietitian is also a nutritionist, but it's not the reverse. So it's almost like a, um, maybe like a workout guru versus a certified personal trainer. Right. Is that right? Because I think what's her, what's her name? Uh, who's the famous girl who's a a fitness uh, guru? Um, God, she's so many. She's uh, (laughs) but but like the top one. But she she's older now. She's kind of faded. Uh, God, if I said her name, but she wasn't. uh, I don't think she's certified though. Top fitness trainer ever. Um, God, if I said her name, you'd be like, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yeah, it turns out she's not even, uh, uh, certified, but, uh, right. but she just, you know, she's just more of a, a personality. God, that's going to drive me nuts. I'm, there's so many, I'm trying to think which one, the first person I came up with was actually a male. So I was thinking oh. Richard Simmons was a previous oh, fitness yeah. guru. I, I bet you that dude isn't even certified. Like I can't. <laughs> I watch his videos. There is no glute activation, no foam rolling, <laughs> no ain't no corrective exercises. He ain't doing. <laughs> You're like, uh, so that would be a good example of a difference, like someone who's just into fitness versus someone who's certified to work with rehab, or um, when someone's you know really trying to activate certain parts of the body or, or knows the right um, technique even to not create injury. So those types of, that's the same type of difference. Well, one of the reasons uh, I'm excited to have you on, cause we actually sat and had dinner, uh, UI and, and my girl, and we were talking about nutrition and food and uh, so many people who struggle with suicidality. Uh, they don't, you know, don't realize how much food, uh, affects their mood uh, because it can it can trigger inflammation and that inflammation can could trigger anxiety and that anxiety can lead to it just becomes a domino effect uh, of things. But what I was really fascinated with our discussion was how you talk to people who are struggling with food and sticking with their diet and and how you coach them uh, through uh, their their new. Nutrition and and their weight loss goals. Um, Can you can you talk about that? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Can you go into that a little bit? Absolutely. So, particularly around when they are struggling to stay on track, like how do how do I keep them motivated? Absolutely, absolutely. So, I think the first thing for me is I always want to figure out what makes this person tick. What is their motivating factor? and I'll use an example for athletes first. For athletes, it might be they're motivated because they want to be a legacy or the best in their um, division or they want to provide for their family or they really just want to make a lot of money. Um, so it, it doesn't matter what their motivating factor is, but for me that is a really important piece because then I can connect how the changes that they might be interested in making would impact that their long-term goal. Because if they're not bought into it, they're really gonna they're gonna struggle staying motivated. And even if they are bought into it, they you know it's very real that we can fall off the wagon, so to speak. So that's um, the first piece is just really understanding: Are they trying not to get injured? Are they trying to make as much money as they can? Are they trying to be a good role model for their children? 
Um, are they trying to just learn about it because they have a family member who suffers with some other, whether it's diabetes complications or different medical situations. So that's the most important one for me. Um, the second thing I would say is when they fall off, it's, it's not a matter is of, are you going to fall off as much as when, and what are you going to do about it? So I think that's the second piece is I work really closely with them to help them identify what are the barriers that they think that they anticipate would happen. So uh, the common phrase I use is, you know, if something was going to stop you from X, whether it's eating vegetables or doing your workout, what would that something be? And it could be one thing, it could be three things, it could be five things. But I, we really dive into what is that scenario and then what are some problem-solving solutions that they think that they could use so that when that situation happens, they know what to do. And it doesn't mean it's going to work perfectly, but they at least have thought it out and they're going to try it. And then that way we can follow back up on, did it work? Yes, I ran to that barrier. Now I have a tool in my tool belt that when that happens again, I'm going to be able to stay on, on track. And again, doesn't mean it's always going to happen 100%. But it's more about being prepared for a scenario, and that's through um, like a, basically a role-playing scenario where you, you walk through different roles of what's going to happen and then how are you going to combat that. <clears throat> so that's another one. Um, a third thing that I would recommend is is having a good social support or at least knowing who is a positive social support for them. So um, a good example might be we, we all have a friend that we can call when maybe we're not feeling great about ourselves or maybe our confidence is a little low. You've got like a cheerleader that you can contact. Well, it's kind of like having that same concept. If, if I know that I'm about to, let's say I'm feeling upset and that's a trigger for me to eat bad food. So I'm feeling upset. Instead of me knowing that my trigger is just to go eat, let me try and reach out to my social support who can you know, take me on a walk and help calm me down. I can use some other strategies to really work on my mindset to stay, to not allow myself to start in that spiral um, that can happen when, when we start feeling shame or guilt or, or being angry at ourselves for not, like for when we do fall off the wagon because nobody's perfect, so... Right. I think that, you know, with social media, it leads so many people to think that people are perfect and that they're always in that kind of shape. And you look at magazine covers and Jillian Michaels, that's who it was. Oh, Jillian Michaels. Yeah. I was like, I, don't I think shouldn't have known her. She might be certified now, but when she was, you know, really, I don't think she was certified. She may not even be certified. I don't know. But uh, but that's who it was. Now I put her on blast. That wasn't fair because I I'm just doing uh, uh, off the top of your search. mind. Yeah, but um, but anyway, I I like that structure of starting with why. There's a there's a book by I forget his name, um, but it, it he talks about start with why, and because a lot of people start with how or what mm-hmm. or who. But you have to start with why. You have to start with the mission. You have to start with uh, what the what the real driver is. And the example that he gave in a book was like companies start with a mission statement. 
you know, and it's like when you when you know what the mission statement is, you know why we're doing what we're doing. Like he took Apple as an example. It was like think different. Like that was their why, and and people have bought into that. You know, it's it, it, you could, yeah, it's a it's a great phone, but there also has to be like why do I have this phone, even if it's on a subconscious level, uh, you know. And there's that quote. There was a scene in. I think it was uh, Narcos, and they were torturing this guy. It got him in a chair oh, and they're doing all types of things to him to extract information. And they're like, I, "Why isn't this not working? It works on everybody else." And and he and he looks, you know, he's all bloodied up, and he's like, uh, "When when the, he goes, any man uh, with a strong why uh, can withstand." Uh, uh, you know, any, any torture or punishment. He goes, I will never tell you because I love my country. And that is something that you could never take away from me. And, and right then and there, they were like, Oh, well, I guess we just got to kill this guy then because, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it's the truth that, you know, so many people have been able to sustain is why people like, you know, our father will work two jobs because Mm -hmm. he wants to put his daughter uh, uh, through college, you know, uh, it's why you get up early because you, you want to build a better future for whatever it is. But you, you're so right in starting with the why. I love that. Um, is that something that you came up with or is that part of a, someone else's theory or what? Um, it isn't something that I came up with. It is something that early in my career I noticed if I didn't figure out what drove a person, I would end up in, in that cycle of just trying to say what and how and just kind of, it's like you never really get to them. And so you just end up doing follow-ups where they're not making any changes. And you're like, why aren't you making changes? So for me, I, as a kid, I actually, my mom was very big on why. Like she always explained why we do something, why you do this, why you do that. It's very important to her. But it wasn't until I was older, like maybe 10 years into my career, no, no, probably six years into my career, that I did start, we got some training about making sure that we started with why. And then I made sure that I was always purposefully doing that. But I I think that was something that was ingrained in me as a child. And then I noticed was a important part for just staying connected with athletes or people. And then I was actually received that training (laughs) Well, you know, what's interesting is I'm glad you brought up that about your mom, because when I think about it, why is one of those things that we beat out of kids or we discourage them from? Every kid starts with why, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's the, the first like No kid is asking what all all the time or how or when or what. I mean, as they get older, they go, when are we going to get there? But. The, the question that they always ask it over and over again uh, to drives you nuts is why? Why is the sky blue? Why are we doing this? Why do I have to go to bed? And we get mad at them and, and, and to the point where I think people stop asking themselves and other people why. You know, we, we push it to the back burner. Yeah, I, honestly, that was exactly why my mom didn't discourage us is as a kid, she had a lot of questions and she was always discouraged from asking why. So she always would say to us, you can always ask why I'll always explain why. Cause for me, I didn't get that as a kid. 
and it always frustrated her. So she, you know how you, you always try and make an improvement from what your parents did to you type thing. So that was her, uh, trying, you know, doing something different that she always yearned for as a kid and didn't get it. So I do really appreciate that about her. You know, it's, it's interesting because it's also a question I ask people when they want to work with me, whether it's uh, personal training coaching or life coaching. When somebody says they want to work with me, the first question I ask is why? And if, if somebody like for personal coaching is like, well, I just want to lose 10 pounds. Uh, I, I go, oh, we're not ready to work together yet. You know, mm-hmm. or I mean, I don't do that every time. Sometimes I might probe a little further. But you, you can tell when sometimes when somebody's really ready to put in some work when they've like had enough and, and the why is tied to something bigger and when it's just a cosmetic thing and then they're going to end up, you know, just flaking on the sessions and not showing up and, uh, uh, you know, expecting a lot for uh, little effort. Um, so I find that why is also a great that's why, like, even when you look at movies, you know, the the and, the, and the, the, the girl brings the boyfriend home for the first time. The father's like, what's your intention? Like, why are you basically he's like, why are you dating my daughter? Is mm-hmm. it for marriage? Is it for? Yeah. Fun. The um, on the second part, you said um, impacts. How does it impact your how does the why impact your goal? I'm sorry. What was the second part? So oh, the second one I had talked about, what the first one was the why, and then connecting it back to the how does that impact your goal. Gotcha. Um, but the second one was more around the social, just um, finding a good social support. Got you. Oh, no, but then you, before, then you brought up uh, the, like, when you fall off. Uh, oh, like, okay. Your, right, 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 right. So you went from why to, like, what, what happens when you fall off and what are you going to do? So what are some, go ahead. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is the, what happens when, when you fall off the wagon and we get to that point, cause we all get there. So how can I not only connect that back to your why, but really look at those barriers and challenges we anticipate to then come up with some problem solving, problem solving strategies. What are some of the most common barriers that people face I'm bringing this up because this also relates to suicidality and like when a, when a person is thinking about ending their life, there's a why attached. And, and sometimes we always, we always tell people like, you know, don't end your life, but we can't just leave it there. We, we have to replace it with a why you should be here, why you should keep going, why this life is worth living you know, et cetera, et cetera. So these, I'm, I'm looking at this as a, as a blueprint also for helping people. Cause there's uh, if you go into therapy, they, they will kind of take you through a similar, uh, uh, if they create like a suicide plan for you, they take you through a similar setup. So th- this all is connected. Yeah, it does sound very connected. So you're asking, what are some of the common pitfalls or thoughts that people have? Absolutely. Have them kind of fall off the wagon. So sometimes um, it's something very simple. Um, when it comes to making food choices, I always ask people, what is the, you know, why do we choose the food that we choose right now? And the common answers we get is because it tastes good, because it's there, 
because I never thought about it. (laughs) So if I can just get someone to change their mindset to, I'm going to choose this food because it fuels me for my goal, whether their goal is to, you know, to perform the best as a salesman, to have the best alertness, you know, our performance could be sports, but it could also be how we perform in our jobs or at school. And so for me, a big piece is helping them when they think about the thoughts of, because it tastes good, it's convenient. I've now put a new seed in, in their mind of when you go to have that thought of, well, these chips just taste good. Okay. How is that going to impact your goal for weight loss? You're right. That's not in my goal for weight loss. So you know what? I'm going to choose a substitution that, and that's where I'll have come up with something very specific for them that seems like a good uh, substitution, but it's ultimately them coming up with the choices for what they're actually going to fall through on. You know, I, I love that. Um, like, how's it feel? Because one of my goals is to live to 100. And when I eat, a part of me thinks about the ingredients. That's why I get so excited about the vitamins and minerals and nutrients and foods, especially like when I find something like a quinoa or we just got <laughs> back from Peru and we found this uh, uh, cocoa powder. that's like super high in vitamin A and uh, some other and iron and all these other uh, nutrients. I was like, oh, yeah. So when I oh, eat wow. it, I think, oh, yeah, this is going to help me live to 100. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so it's the same concept, whether we're talking. So I, I've been talking about food a lot, but, you know, I don't want to just ignore the white elephant with alcohol. Um, but alcohol is a big factor in health, performance, living to 100, um, those types of things, and even our mental well-being. <laughs> so um, it's more about when they're in that situation, what's, you know, what's a a substitution that might help them to make a better choice. Yeah. Because one of the things I loved when we had our discussion, you you talked about like your clients will call you uh, with a sense of shame or embarrassment about what they, the fact that like maybe they had a shot of brandy for breakfast or they had, um, they, they had the leftover pizza from last night for breakfast. And, and, but, but the way you respond is in such a a compassionate way. Can you talk to us about how you respond to those, uh, messages? I do think that a lot of times, um, when people I'll say fall off the wagon, um, or they make a decision that isn't 100% aligned with their goal, they get on the shame path that you, you mentioned where they feel guilty and, Um, one of the biggest things I want to focus on with them is the positive piece in, in their behavior. So someone might be asking, well, there's nothing positive in that having a shot of brandy for breakfast or what, you know, or leftover pizza. How is that positive? So for me, I try and show them, well, I'm, first of all, I'm really glad that you had something for breakfast. So we tend to be very negative on ourselves, very, um, hard on ourselves and, with our minds that, that can create that cycle of shame. And when you feel that shame, then you want to make, you, you just want to be emotionally comforted. And for that emotional comfort, sometimes that's where we choose certain foods that make us happy or make us feel happy with the endorphins that are released, or even it's just the memory of a food that you had as a child, whether it's, you know, that ice cream sundae. So we, it's usually attached to memories. Um, and it, it creates that, 
you, you have that desire because you're looking just for that, a piece of happiness essentially, or some endorphins. And so if we can focus on the good parts, like the fact that you caught yourself and said, you know what, pizza probably wasn't the best choice for breakfast, but I'm going to get back on track for lunch, or I'm going to reach out because I know that I need some support because I'm about to start going down this path again, where I start making choices after choices where I feel bad. So let me call someone. And that's where the reaching out is really important, whether it's a professional or having that social support. But I think it's really important that we focus on that positive with that person, because it's ultimately, they're going to have to change their self-talk day to day in order to overcome those small little hiccups where, you know, things aren't perfect because they're never going to be perfect. So just expecting them to be perfect is not realistic. And so I think that's where sometimes people have this really high expectation. And then, and they also tend to, the other part is we also tend to be really hard on comparing ourselves to an older version of ourselves that was better or thinner or this or that. So it, it, but if you were to say this, some of the things in our heads to a friend, they're not, it's, you wouldn't actually say some of those things to your friend. Like, I can't believe you're having this. I can't believe you're having that. Most people wouldn't do that. <laughs> so it's kind of like, why do we do that to ourselves? Oh, I do it all the time. I'm 44 <laughs> and I swear to you, I swear to you, Stephanie, I, I, I hit the gym sometimes like I'm 24 and I realize I can, I can go hard for one day. But that next day, it, actually the next five days, I'm done. Like I, it's the recovery. And so now I'm at that phase where it's not about can I perform. It's like can I recover from the performance uh, yes. like I used to. And I, I can't. No matter what, I, no matter how much co- co- cocoa powder or acai <laughs> berries or, uh, or gate, whatever, whatever the recovery beat powder, whatever they talk about. It is is brutal. It's brutal for Leo Flowers. But in my head, I'm still 24. And I, you make a great point, though, because you know our body does change as we as we age, and it's our recovery that tends to be um, different, partially because of hormones and the shifts that we have. But it's our recovery as a whole that really does change as we get older. I mean, most people can re- recall a time where they didn't need a lot of sleep in their 20s or teens. But then as they get older, they're like, wow, I definitely need my sleep now. Oh, sleep is is a huge. I heard uh, LeBron James spends about, I want to say, a million dollars a year just on recovery. It might be more than that. Wow. But, uh, yeah, he like he bought like a hyperbaric chamber, chamber right, uh, yeah. to help him sleep. And uh, a lot of guys are now like there's so many books that have been released now about hacking your sleep and improving your sleep. Um, one of the things I, well, a few things that I found to help improve my sleep. Uh, one is uh, uh, mental engagement. Meaning that if I have a day where I'm just like watching TV or just mindlessly doing stuff, um, it makes it hard for me to sleep at night. Like, like I realize like my, cause your brain is a muscle. So it needs to work also, or mm-hmm. else it's going to be like a nine-year-old and keep you up at night. So if I don't have <laughs> enough brain activity throughout the day, uh, i.e. like crossword puzzles, 
uh, you know, doing these podcasts, recordings, training clients, coaching clients, um, a reading, uh, just uh, doing puzzles, things like that. They're really in uh, even meditation, thing, uh, practicing my guitar, like just doing these brain engaging activities. Then the nine year old just wants to run around all night and I can't, I can't shut them down. Um, <laughs> so I found that that's an important piece. Uh, and then the other important piece is uh, to, to journal a little bit before bed to kind of wind my brain down and uh, uh, you know, and, and it just kind of check in on it. Like, Hey, is there anything up there that we need to talk about before I go to bed? Or not. Okay, good. And good night. You know, uh, that kind of thing. So I, th- you, I think you really hit the nail on the head with explaining, you know, the brain is a muscle and you want to make sure you get its energy worked out of it throughout the day so that you can mentally unwind at night. And then I love that you're journaling. That's something that I feel like has been lost with our super technologically advanced society that's all fast paced and they don't even teach writing, handwriting in school anymore. So what my, my understanding, um, at least in the Florida schools. So no, yeah, they don't. Everything, everything like, everybody has an iPad and laptop. Yeah. And Isn't that crazy? It's, so, in, it's insane. I, I think the kids are going to losing a lot of neural activity. Uh, I, I mean, they probably said that about pens and paper back in the day. But I really, <laughs> uh, you know, like <laughs> I was reading somewhere because like when books first were a thing, that, you know, the parents were complaining about children and their books the way parents complain about children with their cell phones now. They're like, oh, she's at the table reading. Like, you know, like books weren't always this thing that uh, was looked up towards. It, it was wow. seen as a, well, because, you know, back in the day, uh, uh, most of the, a lot of the labor was physical. So if you were reading, you weren't working on a farm, you weren't milking the cows, you weren't you weren't doing all the other things that they had kids for, you know? Oh my uh, gosh. That makes so much yeah. sense. So, but so now the cell phone is the, is the new book basically. And, and it'll be something else after that. And, you know, there's always a thing where people will be like, ah, oh, the kids are not going to develop the weight or oh, whatever. It's like, yeah. And I could actually, I could see, you know, we still value, Oh, I think our, at least the older generation still values face-to-face conversation and, and just communication. And I know that's one of the concerns with phones is that they're not, you know, kids aren't communicating with their words to face-to-face and, you know, body language and that sort of thing, or even just spending quality time at a dinner um, because now they're in their phones. So I could see them thinking that being in a book is also similar to that because they're, you know, ice quote isolated and just sitting there. So I can. Yeah, I, I mean, everything I is. A, that. It's yeah. that I, you know, it's everything is a double-edged sword because, on, on the other hand, it 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 could encourage a person to go to travel to see that person more. You know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Be, yeah, at some point, you you want to go touch and feel the thing that you've been looking at. So I think that's yeah. human nature, also. And I also think, sorry, not for the positive of the cell phone, you know, you get to see countries and get excited about places that you you've never seen or never been to. And like you said, it might motivate you to want to go travel there. Um, just like, I don't know. I think because now there's more access to information. 
Yeah. But, do do have you? Is there a place that you want to go? I mean, right now we're in a quarantine, but is there a place you want to <laughs> you want to get to? You know, one of the places I've always really wanted to visit um, was Greece. Uh, I I'd really like to go to Greece. I feel like I've been really fortunate that I've gotten to see a lot of places that were on my list. Um, but Greece is one I'd like to go to. And then some of the places in Italy, like the Pompeii, it's like the hidden city. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, I'd like to see that. And then I, I've been to some places in South America, but I'd like to see some more. Um, I'm really into waterfalls, and I feel like I haven't seen enough. I've seen like a couple. Um, I did get to see Niagara Falls this past year, which was Definitely on my lips. And Egypt. That's another really... Actually, that's probably over... That is over Greece. I'd like to see the pyramids and oh, the Sphinx. Oh, and, you'll love it. I couldn't go into pyramids. I was too tall. Uh, what? Yeah, because, you know, they was they was, they was was umpiquito back in the days. Oh, yeah, they it was were real tiny. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize how little. So, like, the, the doorways were just no bueno for Leo Flowers. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, I had to I had to stand outside twiddling my thumbs and stuff. But oh, uh man. but but uh you know uh, to get back to the uh the food stuff the you, you talked about potential solutions but you also talked about role playing. Can you kind of give us an example of that? An example of um, someone uh, that you, won. Well, because you talked about how, like, if somebody falls off, you you look at anticipated barriers, and then you look at potential solutions, and and even do some. I, I guess you you uh, encourage role playing for in Absolutely. case they fell off. Yeah. So an example might be I had an athlete who um, was really struggling around Thanksgiving, um, and they had worked on some different weight loss strategies, and they had been doing pretty well. But they were very anxious about going home for Thanksgiving um, because they're going to be around all this food and their, you know, their parents eat a certain way and um, just they were nervous about a lot of parts of it. So first we went through, okay, do you want to focus on the day of Thanksgiving or the week of Thanksgiving? I said, which one do you think would be more challenging or which one do you think would set you back more? You know what, how... And they wanted to first, they wanted to do both. So we did one session about the week and I said, okay, when you get home, what do you, what's going to be a challenge at home? And they're like, well, like for breakfast, um, I don't really have, you know, I always have like just bacon and sausage and those are really the only proteins that we have. And then, you know, in the, from a carb perspective, we really, if we have any carbs, it would be like biscuits and gravy. So I said, well, would you, you know, would you be able to go or to give a list of things for your mom to pick up? And they're like, eh, it probably wouldn't work. And I said, okay, well, what do you think would be helpful? And they're like, actually, if I went to the store with my mom, like that would actually work better. So then, you know, we came up with a list and I said, now let's, I said, what do you think during the week is going to be hardest? And they said, well, at dinner time. I'm just afraid that they might have something um, afterwards, like a dessert, that is going to really tempt me. And I said, well, walk me through what that would be. And they're like, oh, you know, she might make pie since I'm home. And I said, okay, so, you know, keep going. And they said, well, they might make pie because I'm home and I don't want to be rude and not eat it. And it is my favorite pie. And so I said, 
so it sounds like you would like to eat some of the pie regardless. And they said, yes. So this is a great example of where we worked on a small piece of pie, like, okay, let's take a small piece of pie, but identifying, are you actually hungry or like when you eat that pie, are you hungry or you just have an appetite for pie? And so he said, sometimes I have an appetite for pie, just pie. And then other times I'm like actually hungry. So if he was hungry, he decided he'd eat an apple first, um, eat a little bit, something more substantial that's more wholesome and going to fill them up without compromising their goals, but then still have the small slice of pie. So then when they go to eat the pie, they're not eating it as like, this is a time for me to eat a sandwich and an apple to fill me up with fiber and wholesomeness. Cause sometimes people go to a sweets when they're actually hungry, trying to be filled up and really a sweet should be more of like, I just feel like a sweet. It's just a little bit of, you know, something a little small. And so then we also, another option on the non-pie days was to use, um, just to have smoothie ingredients available so that when they got a sweet tooth at night that they could take some, a little bit of orange juice and spinach and throw in some berries and some Greek yogurt and make, make a nice wholesome but hearty um, smoothie for that person. And we change up the flavors if someone might be a Reese's Cup eater. And so we'll do a chocolate peanut butter flavored one. So I, I really switch it based on what um, – what is tempting them and what would satisfy them? The honey crisp apple is my favorite <laughs> dessert. It the is so is sweet and so much fiber. Wait, how much fiber? Let me let me look that up. How much fiber? Because it definitely fills me up. I mean, it's uh, it's a bit more expensive than the other. Like Apples. the regular right. red delicious. Okay, yeah. a medium honey crisp has five grams of fiber. And it's that fiber that helps to fill you up. It, but it's also, uh, you know, you're going to poop that out real quick. So it's not going to be anything that, that hangs around uh, the gut uh, for too long. Um, you're absolutely right. I love it. Yeah. I love and the apple. The, the, any fruits that are fresh are going to have a lot more water content and just the water, the hydration inside the apple or whatever piece of fruit is also going to help fill you up. So you, you asked him if he was hungry or if, uh, did he want that? Did he want the pie? Or was he really hungry? I had, yes. you know, so many people struggle with emotional hunger versus physical hunger. Can you separate those for us? What are the I signs? Can, I can certainly do my best. Um, one of the biggest things I start with people who, when we identify that that's a challenge for them that we need to really work on, I remind them, why is it important that we work on this? Let's start with the why. And it's because if I said, when you start eating, how do we know when it's time to stop? Well, if I'm hungry, I know it's time to stop because I'm not hungry anymore. But what happens when I wasn't hungry to start? Now I'm just, it's like, well, when should I stop? Well, you still weren't hungry, so you're still not going to be hungry. So it almost becomes, they see that there's like this, it's almost like a setup for failure because you're just set up to just keep eating until you either feel so sick that now you really feel guilty or don't feel well, or you just finally decide to stop or you have so much guilt. 
So either way, I don't really want someone getting sick or feeling a lot of guilt and shame. So the first thing I really want people to do is determine. So I asked them this question on a scale of one to 10, how hungry am I? And then I say, if you're like a, I don't ever want someone to get to like the ravenous stage, like a nine, like I'm so hungry. I can eat all this food because when I am starving, so hungry, I tend to overeat and then not feel good. And on top of that, I've probably gone too long before, but, um, since the last time I ate, it's probably been like five, six hours when it should have been a little bit less than that. And, and if you overeat and, and feel sick or just feel guilty for overeating, then you're likely to say to yourself, well, you know what? I just overeat last time. So I'm going to go a little bit longer this time before eating because I'm just going to try and level it out. But really that's a, like a fallacy. It's, it's like a false fixer because all that does is start you on that cycle of let me eat too much and then go too long without eating. And then now I'm going to be starving again. So I never really want someone to be at the nine. So I always ask them to also identify a food that they will not overeat unless they are like over hungry. So my example is I like carrots, raw carrots. I will eat baby carrots, but I will not just sit there and eat baby carrots, you know, like, like popcorn. I could, I might. I might crush some popcorn when I'm not that hungry. I might eat chips when I'm not that hungry, but I won't overeat baby carrots. Now, that some people might say, you know what? I will just eat baby carrots. I'll just keep eating them even when I'm not hungry. So you have to choose a food that works for that person. But I say, I have them ask themselves, am I hungry enough to eat baby carrots? If the answer is no, I'm not hungry enough to eat baby carrots, then are you really hungry? No, probably not. But if I am hungry enough to eat baby carrots, then I should eat something that's purpose is to fill me. So remember, I I really want to focus on the purpose of food. Like, how does this fuel me? So sometimes I'm trying to be filled up because I'm hungry. And sometimes I, I just want it because it makes me happy and it reminds me of a good memory. So that's where I like to separate it is what's my purpose? Am I trying to be filled up? Is it time to eat a meal? If it's not really time to eat a meal and I, I'm feeling hungry and even though I just ate like an hour ago and it should have been enough food, then I'll have them start with water. I'm like, hey, drink some fluids, drink something low, like low sugar just to make sure that you're not really thirsty because that's a whole nother situation where your body really sucks at telling yourself that you're thirsty. So a lot of times thirst is mistaken as hunger. So someone might be like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so, so hungry, but really they're not hungry. They're actually thirsty. And it's just your, your body's not very good at identifying. I am thirsty. So if I can make sure that they've, so, okay, they've eaten now they're hydrated and I still want to eat something. then I, it's about making that wholesome choice if you're hungry. So it could be, uh, you know, I like to always have them f- have a snacky food that's on hand that they, it's like a go-to for them. Um, a lot of people will do like a small g- little Greek yogurt, like a non-fat Greek yogurt and a piece of fruit or, um, even some hummus and carrots. That's another one, but something small that, or a little, some 
turkey or grilled chicken breast that they already have cooked up, something that's easy and can be a snack. Um, so I, I think that's another big piece is, okay, am I hungry enough to eat carrots? If I am hungry enough to eat carrots, then let's eat something first. Let's not go straight for the pie. If I'm not hungry enough to eat carrots and I'm like, okay, I've eaten, I'm not going to go for this food because I just, I'm actually hungry. I'm going for it because I want it. Like I want a piece of chocolate. I want a, a piece of a brownie. Then you're going to be able to make a more logical portion because you're rational. You're not so starving. You're irrational because we get to that point where you become so hungry. You're just ravenous and you don't care that you know you shouldn't eat it, you're like, well, I'm, I'm starving. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it because I'm really hungry. So if you can like, say, okay, I'm not hungry now. Now I'm going to eat the sweet. So it's more about how do we eat the sweet included in our routine without it um, jeopardizing or sabotaging our goal and still it, it being a, the right portion. I love that. I love that am I hungry enough to eat carrots? <laughs> because that immediately dries up all my appetite right there. That just like like I just imagine the girl putting her panties back on, like eat carrots. <laughs> what? Like she just nope. Uh, but I, I love that. Like, am I hungry enough to eat? Like for me, I could I could snack on carrots. I probably couldn't eat like a whole bag. But like when I think about, uh, am I hungry enough to eat like broccoli? Like just raw broccoli. I'm like, ah, oh, no, I'm not that hungry. I'm good. But yeah, because when we're hungry, we only think about the, the what we do want to eat versus, or like when it's that emotional hunger, mm-hmm. we only think about that that one thing we do want to eat. But when you start thinking about the the things you don't want, is like then you go, right, nah, I'm, I'm all right, I'm, I'm good. Um, and, and you're right about that that idea that our brain doesn't tell us when we're really thirsty. Right? It's, it's awful. It's like why can't we just have a a meter that says, yep, I'm thirsty, because then it would save a lot of unnecessary calories. <laughs> and, and the reason why this ties into suicidal ideation is that when, when people are extreme uh, experiencing mental pain uh, or feeling like they don't belong or feeling like they're a burden, our, our brains aren't really wired to always tell us what it is we really need. And what we really want, and, you know, uh, when 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 you think your brain is saying that you don't want to be here anymore, you want to end your life. That's not what it it really needs. What you really need is a hug or what you really need is compassion. What you really need to know is that um, you're not going to be ostracized or kicked out or shamed uh, or embarrassed by, or you, you're not, it's not the end of the, the world for you. You want, really want to know that somebody's going to be there for you, uh, whatever that means, or that be, just because your friend didn't call you back, it, it, it doesn't mean that, um, it's the end of the friendship or, you know, we, a lot of times we just want clarity. We, we just want, um, uh, some type of, to, to feel understood and to be heard and to be seen and, mm-hmm. but not, not to end our life. So like I said, all this ties into suicide alley because a lot of it is decoding our thoughts and our bodies and understanding that the way we feel is not always the truth of the situation. And we have to be uh, detectives to get to the source. 
I love how you explain that on two parts. One around the fact that your body doesn't just straight up tell you what you need, because if it did, that would make things a lot smoother from the, you know, suicide risk and as well as just, you know, we're talking a lot about food and, and what our body actually needs. But then the other piece I really loved how you said it was, um, when, when you think about the suicide risks that we have and wanting to be seen and understood, it's so easy for us to assume that we know why that friend didn't call us back right away. Instead, we're not, we're making assumptions around, you know, maybe they were in a car accident and they're literally not conscious. I mean, that's a horrible thing, but you don't know what that other person is also going through at that moment. And it's really easy just to assume that, you know, they're intentionally trying to hurt you or they might not even see it as hurt if, you know, for someone who's reaching out. And I think that's really important because it's just so, I don't know, it's just so easy to assume. And when we have those negative thoughts and it all comes back to our self thoughts and our self self-confidence and, you know, our, our worthiness, um, so to speak. Absolutely. And, and, and it also, you know, ties back into nutrition and food because uh, uh, so many people will thwart their diet because of a relationship issue. I mean, I'm sure you have, have had so many clients where, uh, there's a breakup or there's a big argument or, or there's some, some threat of loss or, uh, uh, um, or, uh, uh, break, I keep saying breakup, but then they, they, they resort to food for comfort Mm -hmm. and, and, but Really, they haven't even taken the time to really figure out what the if the argument is really the end of the relationship or uh, is this is the end of the relationship really the end of the world? Is it uh, is it like they she was the one and the only one. Was she really the only one? You know, like there's so there's so many other ones out there. Uh, but I understand it could feel it feels it does like, feel that way. Right. It just like it just feels feels like that apple pie is the only answer right now right it's just is it's a feel but the feelings and the uh, uh and the thoughts aren't we really have to to buy ourselves some time and dig deep as to uh what's going on. what got you into new i have two questions one is what got you into studying nutrition and food um, and, and wanting to be a dietitian, uh, but two to go back to the first part of, of when you asked, like, what is their, why are there good whys and are there bad whys? Meaning are there whys that, uh, um, would help ground somebody and, and help a person achieve their goal more so than other types of whys? Well, those are great. That's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll start with your first one, which is, you know, what inspired me to want to be a dietitian. Um, I really didn't know what a dietitian was until my, one of my teammates in college was on the nutrition track. They were studying to be a dietitian. And, um, I, as a, in high school, I was a gymnast growing up and then I, I ran track in college, was also a cheerleader competitively. And so I, I saw a lot of my friends that struggled with um, either eating disorders or just forms of disordered eating. 
and just the impact that the sports that I happened to be in really judged people literally on, on their aesthetics. So that was, um, always hard. I never liked that part of it, of, of them. And so I also noticed as that I, f- I performed so much better when I had chosen better options and I wasn't really raised to, you know, eat a certain way or anything. It was very much a normal, I'd say childhood. Um, our chicken fingers were a staple, you know, pizza and all the, all the works, but I just felt better and I felt more confident at my skills and my performance that I could do them better when I hadn't eaten something greasy or something really heavy. And so in, in college, it was really more inspired by my friends that had had some eating disorders, me identifying that I noticed a big difference when I ate differently for myself, but then also learning about the different careers that you could have. I had originally wanted to be a, a doctor or um, work for the FBI. And the doctor route, I, I chose not to go that route because I, my personality tends to be the overwork type. And I felt that if I chose that, I would feel so committed to being a physician that I would always put my job over my family because I knew I wanted to have a family. And so I chose not to be a doctor and people laugh at me now when they know how much I work now. Um, but on the second part, the, I, I was really interested in, so after I decided not to be a doctor, I actually planned on being like FBI, CIA, because I love problem solving. I love things that are complicated and confusing, and I love trying to figure out the challenges of it. And when I learned about nutrition and how, whether it's a world problem or an individual problem, you really have to get to the root of it and figure out what's, what are the physiological implications of what's going on and and then the behavioral piece. I just I loved all of it. It was helping people. It was getting to do the problem solving, but then also getting to be in a health practitioner role that wasn't, in my opinion, at the time, I didn't think I would feel the commitment that I have to always choose to work over my family. If that makes sense. That makes so that was- complete sense. I, I, I love how, how you thought through it. And, and what I really love about what you said is you you click through to the to the true source of what your motivation was. Right. Like people often ask me why, uh, like, how am I how am I doing stand up comedy and coaching and training and all that? And know because at the root is I want to make people's lives better. Yes. And so it doesn't matter if I'm doing stand up, if I'm making you laugh and I'm bringing couples together and, 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 and making you forget about your day for an hour or a couple hours, then I've, I've made, I've done my part to make the world better. If I, if I coach you and make you stronger or improve your mobility or get, I help you with that sciatic pain or improve your, your, or reduce your back pain. Or if I coach you so that you, you want to stay on this earth another 80, 90 to 100 years, then I'm making the world better. And, and so it doesn't matter whether I'm a cashier or a doorman, I'm going to find a way to add value to the people around me. And, and that's at the foundation of, of, of everything that I do. It, it, you really could, you took the words out of my mind, honestly, because it's for me, it's someone. I felt like a lot of people ask, like, you know, why do you do what you do? Or what the big word we use at work is, you know, what, what motivates joy? And I'm like, 
adding value to people that I care about and just in people that I don't know, just helping be an ins- a light of inspiration for something small or big, however it may be. So which uh, that kind of leads us to uh, the next question you asked is, is there a, a better why, a good why versus a bad why? Um, in my opinion, and I would lean on some other experts um, that really work on motivations strictly, but I would think that most whys that are internal um, tend to have a, I'm going to say, are better whys long-term because there isn't a win or lose with it. And so my our example that we could just use, like, we're motivated because we want to help people. Well, you're not really going to not physically get helping people. It's not a thing that you can say, check mark, I've achieved this, I, I, whether it's a million dollars, something very tangible, which is more a, um, the other one I would say is, I wouldn't say they're bad goals, but they're, they're to me, they're not as, um, because they're external goals, um, they can, they can some, at some point they become not enough. So it's more about trying to fulfill internal goals tend to be ones that help. They they're, tend to be more wholesome. I don't know how else to say that. Um, honestly, an expert in motivation would probably ex- explain this better. But that when we have external motivating goals like money or cars, those are things. And once we get those things, people that have those goals it ends up not being enough. It ends up not being what they wanted. They end up wanting more and it's not satisfying. So then if that behavior that you were doing to get to that goal, that goal is no longer satisfying. Well, you need to find a new goal, but it's really, it's almost like you should enjoy the process. So for example, if helping people is the thing that motivates us, then as we help people, it, you're, it's never like you're going to be you're going to keep being fulfilled because it's the process of helping people. And you're not going to just check mark. I helped this person and now I'm fulfilled and I'm going to stop doing my daily behaviors because now I've already met that goal. So when it's tangible and that external factor, it's a little bit, it's easier to give up on your daily habits that have gotten you to that goal when it's tangible and an external factor versus when it's internal. That's, I hope that was a bit more articulate way. No, no, that. I completely understand. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I even thinking about me and as an, as an example in that, you know, what my internal, uh, goal is, uh, mobility is like, I, I love the idea of mobility makes me feel free. And I like to feel like free to move, free to like, I can articulate and express with my body in a way. So like when I work out any type of exercise I'm doing, I'm thinking about this increases my mobility. If I sit around then I'm decreasing my mobility and then therefore decreasing my freedom and my ability to express myself and connect with others. Um, but, uh, but there's also the external motivation of I like the way it looks and, you know, I, I like the, 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 the feedback that I get and, um, on, on some level, I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too driven by, um, uh, physical praise, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, people like go, people oh man, something. you look great. Like, like I'd rather have people comment more on the, the energy 
that it that comes from taking care of yourself right like i i don't i don't i'm not too big on people going, oh look at your arms or you know oh you got abs like i'm not too big on that but uh but when people go oh man there's just uh you know like you got this energy or something about you you know then i go this that's how i know i'm doing the work because you you show up and people can just feel the work that that yeah. you that you put into yourself and i don't mean just through exercise but you know through the the meditation and the journaling and and connecting with others and volunteering and and uh, and, and learning like all those things contribute to how you show up and feel about yourself yeah i the meditation and journaling and just showing up for others. I think that self care, I, I, I hope more people are getting time for that at the moment and we're really dedicating that because I do think that's, that's part of that recovery, that mental recovery that, so that when you show up for other people, you can bring this energy in and help make it, you know, be a great influence on them. Yeah, I'm looking at this chart right now of uh, in, intrinsic versus extrinsic, and intrinsic motivations are like sense of achievement, curiosity, yes. interest, pride. External are money, grades, praise, career, exams, um, and and you want you want to have both. You, you want to you uh-huh. know it's, one's not better than the other. You need you need both, but. When one isn't there, you have the other to kind of uh, fall onto. Um, yeah, I think it's like having a healthy dose of both of them. Yeah. If that makes sense. Because when I, I feel like when people, let's just give an example, like let's say they really needed that external praise from people. Well, what if they're doing all of the right behaviors and they're being a great role model and they're eating great and exercising great, but they're just not getting that praise from people? then they might just stop doing that if they don't have something internal that keeps them doing those habits. It's just, it ends up becoming like a, yeah, they're, they're expecting something else to give them that feedback when really the feedback, if it was internal, I don't know, it's like they would get that fulfillment and be, be able to continue the good lifestyle or the good behaviors that they've already worked so hard for. Are you a daily journaler? I wish I was. I that is something I I do more like recently I started doing it more often because of the you know the quarantine, but I that is something I would like to do more of. And every time I do it, I'm like, gosh, I love journaling. Why don't I do this more? <laughs> <laughs> I really do. It it's honestly just one of those things I haven't built into my my routine yet. I've built in meditation was the uh, more that was the one that I really worked hard on getting as part of my daily routine. So now I have that as part of my night, my night sleep routine. And that's been huge for just getting better rest. Now, when you say built it in as part of your routine, how did you build that in? Is your hair down again? I'm getting crinkling on uh, the... Uh, oh, it's actually... No. Oh, oh sorry. I uh, was... Uh, how did how, yeah. you build it into your routine? Um, I built it into my routine. I had tried a few apps... And I was really struggling with sleep. I mean, I've, I've struggled with sleep for a while. But I had started doing better with my sleep and then started having problems waking up in the middle of the night or not being able to sleep, fall asleep at, before bed because I was thinking too much. And I, I started, I tried a new app 
um, called Calm. Um, you, you may have heard of it. And Absolutely. it has a whole, yep. I, I love it. It just has so many different choices. It's like a menu of, do you want to sleep stories? Do you want to meditate? If you want to meditate, here are all types of meditations. So I actually, I just purposely tried to incorporate it before bed. Um, just to literally try, try to do something, add something to my routine to help have more restful sleep. And I noticed the first time I did it, I fell asleep 10 times faster than the other app that I had been trying to use, um, to make, help my mind mentally unwind at night. And that was really helpful. Wow. I use a insight timer. Um, and I have to, I, this is called yoga Nidra and yoga Nidra is a guided meditation specifically is a, uh, for sleep. So it's a type of, because uh, they they do like a body scan and everything, and I sleep like a baby. I mean, part of it is just taking the time to sit and go through the guided meditation. But uh, if you look up Yoga Nidra, uh, it's a type of guided. Just as it doesn't, you have to use Insight Timer. You can go on YouTube or uh, or it might even be part of the uh, Calm app if they have uh, guided meditations and. Um, and find it. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'll check that out. I, I wrote it down, the Yoga Ninja. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, and as we're wrapping up here, when, you, uh, when you're looking for a good social support, right, and say you've fallen off the wagon and you call your friend, what, what, do, you, what do you want the friend to say? Uh, you call your friend, you go, Hey, I just ate like, uh, I feel so ashamed. I just ate like 12 donuts. Uh, I'm such a fatty fat. Like, what, what is it, an encouraging response? Because I think that a lot of people don't know how to, the best way to respond or be supportive. Yeah, that's a really great question. And part of it, there is a little piece that depends on the personality of the person requesting the help. Um, but in general, for most people, um, you first, you want to listen and just literally hear them out, let them vent for a minute and n- not judge them. So like give them some empathy, like, oh, it sounds tough or yeah, I've had something similar like that. If you have no, don't lie about it if you haven't. Um, but then, so part of it's just being empathetic and listening. And then the second part would be providing, this is where it uh, can depend on the person. Some people are are really good. They're calling you because they want that accountability. So a great question back is like, okay, so, um, what can I do to help? You know, what, what can we do to, if this happens again, what would be something that might help you when, when you're at that decision-making point before you go eat, you know, the whole pizza, what could we have done, um, to not go down that, the whole pizza route, you know, like at, when that decision was coming up. So it's that accountability pieces. And again, it's not judgment. It's not shame. It's sort of like, okay, so that happened. Yep. That happened. All right. What are we going to do about it? So it's being a little bit more problem solving focused. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is I always try and explain like every time there's these, these food decisions or food challenges, all it is is problem solving opportunities. It's not anything but that. So what are some solutions that we can put in place for the future? Now, some people, they don't really want a solution. They just want to 
complain and oh pity me and i don't think that's that's where you that's not a, a great that'll get you in a negative cycle but more of like how can i have some accountability and and when that happens again what can i do to stop it or what's my next step i love that so you you you're trying to be emotionally supportive of the moment but then also getting them to think about next time because this time it's the damage is done so mm-hmm. there's no need in us dwelling and, and resting in there. But to think about what are we going to do next time? And, and it really is having a plan in place for next time. Because what's beautiful, you know, at the beginning, when people talk about the barriers and uh, obstacles that, that might come up for them, it's hard to be prepared for all the things. Like <laughs> yeah. you can't possibly know everything that's going to happen when you go home for Thanksgiving or go to the grocery store with your mom. You know, we like to think that we got it all, but uh, there's a scene in Ozark and I'm not, no spoilers, (laughs) but uh, somebody decides to, they ask for somebody else's help. Right. And when this, when a person asks for the other person's help, that other person goes, I could help you, but understand that if I do this, it it comes with uh, some contingencies, right? It's going to like, basically you're going to owe me uh, a lot for your, your, your life, basically. And another person's like, yeah, I understand. And another person was like, you couldn't po- quite possibly understand what's going <laughs> to be asked of you. Like you, you have no idea. And another person was like, I, I understand. And, and sure enough, a couple episodes later, the person didn't understand, you know. So, yeah. um, but, but it's the same thing. Is, is like you, we can only, we're only guessing based off what's happened in the past and other people's experiences. But you, you, not until you're in it do you really know all the things that are, are going to surface and trigger you and activate you and, and take place. Uh, that could that could throw you off guard. So it, it's good to have that plan in place, but know that it's a it's a plan in progress. It's not so you know not to be discouraged. If you had a plan, it didn't work out. Just know that it, we are. It's always something that you're adding things to and taking things out of as you as you walk. You know the face of the earth beautifully said because it that there's no straight line to success it's always up and down and throughout all of life it's a journey so it's a journey stephanie wilson uh dietitian is there is there anything that we haven't talked about uh regarding nutrition and food and and uh you know the the the, the mindset of it all that that you feel like uh listeners should know um, apart from other different nutrition topics, I think the big, a big takeaway that I haven't mentioned is, you know, to focus on the bright spot. That's a favorite quote from one of my favorite psychologists, Justin Sua. He'd say, focus on the bright spot of the, every situation, whether it's, you know, being trapped at home or, or, you know, in this hard situation, but also around any decisions we make around the day around food, focus on the bright spot even when you fall off the wagon. So focus on, on what you're learning or the bright spot of it. 
Justin Sue, he's a performance psychology coach at Yes. Uh, for who? Tampa Bay? He works with the Tampa Bay Rays um, along with a few other groups. Um, but he he's an amazing psychologist. He's fantastic. Oh, I would love to get him on a podcast. That would be the guy. He's phenomenal. All right. We're gonna we're gonna work on him. So Try stay on that tuned. One. <laughs> we're gonna work on that. Um Stephanie Wilson, thank you so much for being a part of this. Plug all your things. Where can people find you if they want to work with you? Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I'll actually be launching uh, my new website. It will be sosnutrition.com. So that's where I will have everything. It's This is a new adventure for this year, so I, I don't have it up and running, but that will be where to go. And it's, and it's, it's really just an honor and a pleasure to be on your podcast. So thank you for having me today. Stephanie, thank you for being a part of this. I asked this question of all my guests because uh, we understand you're not a therapist. You're not licensed. Uh, but I always feel like there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? I would ask them, you know, what... Oh, that's a hard one. I would ask them who they're going to miss the most when they're gone because that's the person, whoever they're going to miss is probably a person that's really important to them and it's worth sticking around for, even if it's not in the the relationship that they wanted. So some people, you know, they get really upset about a breakup or something, but for every one person, there's there's 10 others out there of people that want that person there. So, oh, you know what? I got a better one. Uh, my favorite quote is to the world. You may be someone, but to someone you're the world. Ooh, there it is. That's what I would tell them. <laughs> that is a, can you say it one more time, Stephanie? They got chills Absolutely. hearing it. Isn't it good? It's to the world. You may be someone, but to someone you're the world. Yowzes. And with that, we're out of here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help, for you calling for help, for you yelling and writing a letter for help, sending an email for help, getting online, whatever you got to do to get help. Yell at your neighbors. Uh, shout, shout, from, shout from the balcony. Get a bullhorn. <laughs> to, to corner somebody in an elevator. Uh, but reach out to someone. Call 1-800-SUICIDE, uh, get a therapist online, go to group therapy, start a group therapy, do something. Uh, but the, the, your story needs to be heard. Your life is valuable. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. If you're struggling with feeling like a burden, if you've reached a point of hopelessness, if you feel like you don't belong, know that you're not alone in this world of six billion people all right uh go to thrivewithleo.com and let's get to tomorrow together thank you